All right. Well, hope you're ready. <laughs> um, I did tell somebody already, if lightning strikes while I'm preaching, it's because out of all the topics that we're going through in this series, this is the one that I feel is most hypocritical for me. Talking about Sabbath rest. So yeah, get ready. Um, we're going we're gonna to do a couple things. I'm going to have you go to a couple different passages as we kind of walk through this. It's going to feel like a, a lengthy introduction because it is a lengthy introduction. Um, but we're going to jump to three main passages. So if you want to take your Bibles, go to Genesis chapter 2. That's the first one we'll get to here in a few moments. And then we'll jump to a couple others just as we walk through this. All right. So I was tempted to get up here and yawn really big to see how many of you yawned. Um, here, let me, let me, maybe I'll start it this way. How many of you with completely clear conscience can raise your hand and say, I am an expert at resting? <laughs> well done, sir. <laughs> I think for, for, for most of us, many of us, we long for rest. We hope for rest. There's a lot of reasons we don't rest. And, and until, like we were just saying, until that day <laughs> where we're in heaven, we need to fight the tyranny of the hamster wheel that we find ourselves on. Um, we, we live a life today where both conscious and unconscious stress causes us to experience all kinds of side effects. Uh, not the least of which is the lack of real, true, genuine rest. I mean, some of us, some of us in this room are uh, uh, one degree or another are insomniacs. Some of us can't fall asleep at night, so we stay up. Some of us wake up in the middle of the night and stay up. Some of us wake up way too early in the morning and, and stay up. And so we have such a sleep debt that we don't even know what being really, truly rested feels like anymore. And, 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 and that's, that's difficult because rest is one of those things that's most crucial to making life human. Um... And it's also difficult because to rest isn't just simple. It takes a discipline. It takes intentionality. Because if you think just by stopping work is to rest, you're crazy. Because there's always something else that pops up. Why, why do we find rest so difficult? Why, is, why are we running in a hamster wheel of society and culture today? Let me explain some things. Just as you look at our culture, um, both in corporate culture, uh, in home culture, in agriculture culture, whatever you want to look at, and you look at all of these things, what you find is the reason rest is difficult to come by is because there is always work to be done. Always. There's always work to be done. And we've overcommitted ourselves to too many things. And a lot of times we've overcommitted ourselves to some very good things, but we're still overcommitted. For most, today, unlike any other day in history, our jobs are insecure. It used to be tenure was a big deal for you in the corporate world, but today our jobs are incredibly insecure. So you've got to put in the extra time. You've got to put in extra production, and if you don't, then perhaps your department or your job itself will be eliminated. Um, technology has not helped us. The fact that you can work from anywhere means you work from everywhere. The hours of each job have increased. 
partly because of the job's demands and those demands becoming so intense, partly because if you don't sacrifice yourself for that job, somebody else gladly will. So we can't rest. Or at the very least, we don't rest. But that's not our only problem. It's not just the amount of work to be done. That's not the the greater problem. The greater problem isn't the demands of that exterior work. The greater problem is our inability to stop because so much of our identity is tied to work. So so we certainly need rest from the increasing hours and the physical fatigue, but, but the deeper problem is this inner machine that doesn't stop. It just keeps chugging over and over and over again. It can't stop because you feel like you need to prove yourself. So we don't stop because the work validates how important I am. The, the, the work becomes my very identity. I can't stop because this is how I keep score. I know if I'm being successful, if I make it to the end of the day and I can't keep my eyes open. I know I'm being successful when the people who I love most are the people who I see the least. That's how I keep score. We're, we're afraid to stop. You know Why? <laughs> Because we fear silence. We fear not being accepted. We fear being irrelevant, being a failure, or, or worse, being seen as a failure. So there's a, a deep-seated, felt need in all of us to prove to others your value. And in reality, to prove to yourself your own value. Okay, if you're with me, give me a a head shake. Okay, most of you are good, but maybe an illustration will help you understand this. There's a great theologian, a modern-day theologian, perhaps the greatest one of all time. His name is Rocky Balboa. (laughs) And in Rocky 1, which is probably the only good Rocky movie, except if you watch it now, it's like, that is the dumbest movie ever. It's terrible. But, But Rocky 1 was the good one, right? And you've got this conversation that happens between Rocky and Adrian, and I'm not going to do the accents. In fact, even reading the script was like, I am getting dumber by the second. Um, but, but Rocky and, and Adrian have this conversation. He's like, I can't, I can't beat him. I don't know what I'm going to do. I, I, can't, I can't do this. I'm not even in this guy's league. And Adrian's like, well, so, so what are you going to do? You've worked so hard. And he says, it doesn't matter how hard I've worked because I was a nobody before this. So don't, don't say that, Rock. <laughs> Uh, yeah, be careful. And Rocky's response is this. He says this. Oh, and you, you think I'm kidding about getting dumber by the second. Wait till you hear this. Come on, Adrian, it's true. I was nobody. But that don't matter either, you know? Because I was thinking it really don't matter if I lose this fight. It really don't matter if this guy opens up my head either. Because all I want to do, go the distance. Nobody's ever gone the distance with him. And if I can go that distance and that bell rings and I'm still standing, I'm going to know for the first time in my life that I weren't just another bum from the neighborhood. So what ends up happening is, Rocky, why are you so driven? Why do you run the art museum stairs all the time? Why do you have these crowds of people following you with trumpets? Why are you laying off the cheesesteaks, Rocky? What's the deal? And it's like, all so that I can prove to myself that I'm not a bum. And you watch those movies, and what you find out is he achieves that, and that's how he burns out. Because he's got to prove to himself, and that's probably why the rest of the movies stink. Uh, He's got to prove to himself that he's not a bum. Because there's this unsettling in his soul. And I'm here to tell you right now, we can take any vacation we want, 
But if you don't have deep rest in your soul, there is not a vacation in the world that's going to help you. And that's what it means to enjoy Sabbath rest. So what is Sabbath rest? The definition of the word Sabbath means to come to an end, to cease, to stop, to pause, trust, sit down, sit still. Genesis chapter 2 Verse 2 is the first time that God demonstrates what Sabbath rest is for us, and I'll read this. We'll get back to it again. I'm going to mention these first two, jump into the third, and then go back and revisit the first two. But in Genesis chapter 2, verse 2, it says this, On the seventh day, God had completed his work that he had done, and he rested on that seventh day from all his work that he had done. That word rested is the word we get Sabbath from. That is a Sabbath rest. God demonstrates what it means to have Sabbath rest. Go to Exodus chapter 16. Exodus chapter 16 is where God commands Sabbath rest. You've got um, the people in the wilderness complaining about God's provision or lack of provision. They actually make the comment that you, God, brought us out of Egypt into this wilderness so that we would die of hunger. So they're making accusations against God. And what's fascinating is throughout chapter 16, God makes a comment to Moses and to the people, hey, uh, let the people know I heard what they said. Now, that's intimidating if you ask me. And so Moses gathers the people. He says, God has heard what you said. And so this is what he's going to do for you. Every morning you're going to step out and there is going to be bread from heaven all over the ground. And as Moses is talking to the people, it says the people turn and look back towards the wilderness and this cloud arrives. And they know that in the cloud is the very glory of God. You want to complain again? And so Moses lays out God's plan for the people. You will go out every day. You will collect enough manna for yourself for that day. It's fascinating to me. Um, Verse 17 of chapter 16 of Exodus says, The Israelites did what Moses said. Some gathered a lot, some gathered a little. But when they measured it by courts, the person who gathered a lot had no surplus, and the person who gathered a little had no shortage, because that's the way God works. And so they went home and they ate it, and then they were like, they were told by Moses, don't keep it overnight. But they were like, you know, we can't really trust this. I mean, we got some leftovers. Let's get the Tupperware out. Let's stick that aside. And the next morning they wake up and they crack open the Tupperware and the manna is filled with maggots and worms. And Moses says, I I told you not to keep any. Gather enough for that day and that day alone. And so the people learn their lesson. They go out, they gather enough for each day, enough for each day, enough for each day. But then they go out on, on Friday, they go out on the sixth day of the week, and they gather a whole mess of it and they bring it back into their tents. And it's interesting because the, the leadership goes to Moses and says, you're not going to believe this, the people took too much today. And Moses' response is, that's okay, this is what the Lord, verse 23 of chapter 16, he told them, this is what the Lord has said. Tomorrow is a day of complete rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Go down to verse 29. Understand that the Lord is the one who has given you the Sabbath. 
So God has demonstrated what Sabbath looks like in Genesis chapter 2. God has commanded his people regarding Sabbath in Exodus chapter 16. And then we are all offered Sabbath rest in Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11, very familiar passage. I'll start reading in verse 28. Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 says this. This is the words of Jesus saying this. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take up my yoke. Learn from me, because I'm lowly and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. God demonstrates what Sabbath rest is in Genesis chapter 2. God commands Sabbath rest to his people in Exodus 16. And here in Matthew 11, he offers Sabbath rest to them. He says, if you want rest, here it is, go to Jesus. What are the qualifications? Pretty, pretty simple. I mean, it's not very, come to me, this is Jesus, so the, you, you come to me. Who? All of you who are weary and burdened. There's your qualifications. Are you weary? Are you burdened? Qualified. Anybody fit that description this morning? Okay, so I think we're all pretty much okay there. So, so now you go to him. You bring to him your weariness. You bring to him your burdens. You lay it down, and he gives you his yoke. He places that upon your neck, and now you are attached to him. There's this glorious exchange that happens. I'm going to give you my weariness. I'm going to give you my fatigue. I'm going to give you my burden, and I'll receive your Yoke. To understand that a little better, we got to dive back into that Genesis 2 passage, right? So you go all the way through Genesis chapter 1, you've got the creation event, you've got God creating all of these things, and at the end of each day, what does he say? It's good. It's good. It's good. Then you get to the end of day 6, God has created mankind, and he looks at all of his creation, including mankind, he steps back, and you could, it says, he looks, and it's this, it was so very Good. So very good. Let me, let me tell you this. So in Genesis chapter 2, it says, The heavens and the earth and everything in them were completed. And on that seventh day, God had completed his work on that day, and he rested because it was so very good. You know that there is a lot of people out there who think that the pinnacle of God's creation, the, the most important moment in God's creative event during that week-long creation period, the most important thing, the highlight of his creation is when he created man and woman. I would disagree. I think the highlight of the creation event is the day that God stopped and rested. You know why? Have you ever seen a television show on the Food Network called Chopped? I mean, some of us, I almost called myself a foodie. <laughs> it's better. Some of us who are addicted to television, it's probably more accurate. There's this wonderful show that's called Chopped. And in Chopped, what they do is they bring in four chefs from around the country. And they stand there and they have baskets in front of them. They have no idea what's in the basket. And they open up the basket and they reveal each item that is in the basket. Then they have 30 minutes to create this gourmet meal for three of the judges. And they vote who does the best, who does the worst. And they chop the ones who do the worst, thus the name. Okay, So, so in this show, I mean, you will open up your basket and it's like, okay, cool. Carrots, quail eggs, kale and a rock. Sweet. But every once in a while, you get somebody on that show who just knocks it out of the park. 
I mean, they get 30 minutes to do this, and dude is done at 15 minutes. So in 50 minutes, everything's done, and now he's plating things, and he's like taking the carrots, and he's slicing it, and he's making like little origami swans with the carrots because he's got time. Uh, He's like chiseling the rock to make it look like one of the judges. I mean, and he's just like, I mean, all the other three are just working frantically. There is, and, and this is actually disturbing to me who does not work in the restaurant industry. The amount of sweat pouring off these chefs is disgusting. They're leaning over their plates like, and then it's like, they always dramatize it. Oh, get it on the plate. Get it on the plate. Five, four, three. And you know, everybody's like, we're done already. Two, one, boom. And they, they judge it all. Now, 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 while this guy's chilling over here and these guys are, they're trying to like make kale not taste like kale so that it's good. Um, they're, they're doing all these things, ice cream, making ice cream, all these things are happening. But, but what the picture is, is that one chef who is so much better than the rest that he can just do nothing. That's day seven. Day seven is a picture of how God, God is. Everything you see he created and then had enough time, take a break. And he stopped. And that's what it means to rest. It means to look at the work and to be utterly satisfied with what's been done. To rest means to look at the work and be utterly satisfied with what's been done. So that brings us back to Matthew chapter 11 where it says, you come unto me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest through Jesus and only through Jesus you can get that rest. How is is that possible? When, When you're always having to prove yourself or assure yourself that you're somebody important, how is that possible when you're just trying to prove you're not a bum? Jesus says, you come to me and I'll take care of you. I'll give you rest. Because everybody is serving something. Everybody is looking for an identity. But if you come to me, Jesus says, you come to me and you make me the meaning of your life, you'll get absolute rest. Because as you come to me, what you find is it is finished. All that needs to be done is done. So be satisfied with what's been done for you. It's the essence of the gospel, isn't it? Be satisfied with what's been done for you. I don't rest on my work. I rest on his finished work. And at that moment where I am satisfied with what's been done for me, at that moment, that's 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, so that in him we might be made the righteousness of God. In that moment, there's this glorious exchange. I bring him my weariness. I bring him my burdens. He gives me his yoke of rest. I bring him my sin. He gives to me his righteousness. In that very moment, when that glorious exchange happens, God looks at you and says, it is so very good. You know that's how... God sees you in Jesus. That's the deep rest we need. To get off the internal hamster wheel is to see yourself as God sees you in Christ and to be utterly satisfied with what's been done. And when you get that deep rest, (laughs) then you can really rest.
you can physically rest. You can take the time to rest. But the way that you view rest is going to be vital to, to your ability to rest. So, so that passage in Exodus chapter 16 that we looked at a few minutes ago, Exodus chapter 16, you've got these slaves coming out of Egypt, and now what God has said is, you're not a slave anymore, you're free, and this is how I'm going to prove it to you, rest. Slaves don't get days off, do they? No, no slave that I know gets a day off. You don't get to rest, you're, you're a slave, so you can't say no, so you don't say no, and you don't set time aside to relax and rest, and so what rest is, is an act of freedom. Are you free? Or are you a slave? And what are you a slave to? Might be to your job, might be to your social commitments, what are you a slave to? To take Sabbath rest is an act of freedom. I want to kick ahead here to Exodus 20, a very familiar passage, the passage we get the Ten Commandments out of. Not only is rest an act of freedom, but rest says, or sorry, Exodus 20 says rest is an act of dignity. I think we're all familiar with Exodus 20, verse 8. Out of the Ten Commandments, remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. I think we remember that, but, but, but there's description that comes after that that we'd be foolish not to pay attention to. Remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy. You are to labor six days and do all your work, but on the seventh day, that's a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You must not do any work. You, your son, your daughter, your male or female servants, your livestock, the resident alien who's within your city gates, it doesn't matter who you are. Every single one of you as an act of dignity is to take that time to rest. It's an act of freedom. It's an act of dignity. It's also a huge act of trust on our part. Isn't it? Some of us run around and do everything we can possibly do. And get involved with as many things as we possibly can get involved with. And micromanage as many things as we can micromanage. Because we're terrified that if we don't, things are going to fall apart. And Psalm 3 says, I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustained me. He says, the, the, the theology behind sleep is this. I can lay down, close my eyes and sleep while the world continues to turn. And God's still got it because it's not up to me to have. Psalm 4, the very next chapter says, I will both lie down and sleep in peace for you alone, Lord. You make me live in safety. To, to intentionally rest, to purposefully rest, points to God's work. It says, he's God and I'm not. And we need to be reminded that we don't keep the world running. We need to be reminded we're not even meeting our own needs. You understand that, right? Everything you have has come from his hands. And yet sometimes we fool ourselves to think, well, if I do this, this, and this, I got it all covered. You don't have anything covered. I'm not God. So when you view rest as an act of freedom, as an act of dignity, as an act of trust, now what you need to do is align your life with what those beliefs are. And so let me make some practical suggestions for you, some applicational points about how to actually take Sabbath rest. Here's the first point. 
take more Sabbath rest time. How much more? More than you're doing right now. More than you're doing, that's different for everybody. But take more Sabbath rest time and balance your Sabbath rest time. So do some things you normally don't do. I'm, I'm not, and my wife and I have like talked about doing this a couple times. Um, like, yeah, we're going to do that, we're going to do that. We're not walkers. But you know, there is something, every once in a while we find ourselves walking, even if it's just through the backyard, it's like, this is actually kind of relaxing. <laughs> There's no kids here, this is fantastic. I left my cell phone in the house, Woohoo! Do something you normally don't do, go for a walk. I actually, <laughs> about a week and a half ago, my kids have hammocks. Um, and actually, it's not just like to rest kind of hammocks. Try not to make eye contact with any of them specifically. However, they have turned hammock resting into an Olympic event. Um, hammocks do like really cool twirly things. So there's like all these gymnastic moves and there's times where I walk out and I can't even tell if a kid's in the hammock because they like cocooned themselves or hanging upside down and wrapped into it. And I, I was like, yeah, I remember what we were doing, but I'm like, you know what? I'm getting myself in that hammock. Now, A, it was difficult to get into this thing because uh, I will call her out. My daughter was like, hey, good luck getting in there. So Audrey hangs it in the tree for me, like up here. So I'm like, <laughs> I'm swinging around. But when I got in it and laid down, well, first of all, I was asleep within seconds, but I, I don't normally do that. There's something to it. So do some things you don't normally do. Do some things that make you think. Volunteer. Volunteers, and that, that includes here at the church. Do the take two, that's one thing. Work at VBS, that's one thing. Go out with a little love, and they go out once a month. Sign up to help at Loaves and Fishes. Plenty of opportunities to volunteer, but it gives you a different perspective, and it gives you a different view, so go do that. Do some worship. Remind yourself of who you are and who he is. That that's where the walking in nature comes in really handy. Because it doesn't take very long for you to climb up a little bit of a mountain, get a little bit of a view of a sunset or a sunrise, to be reminded of that psalm where he says, what is man? You are mindful of him. Why do you even think about us? You are huge. I am nothing. Do some extra work that you enjoy. That's, it takes a little uh, explanation. So, so for all of us, there's parts of our jobs, there's parts of our responsibilities, there's parts of our work that we just don't like, right? I mean, we all have that. That's just reality. But then there are certain aspects and avenues of your work and your job that, like, they just thrill you. So make it a point to do some of that really good stuff every once in a while. One of our staff members, we were doing our devotions Wednesday, one of our staff members was like, I know it may sound crazy, but I love mowing the lawn. So we all offered to allow her to mow our lawns for us. She's going to make a little money on the side. Um, but there's something about doing those things you just enjoy doing that is restful. And for me, this is the one I struggle with the most, do some nothing. I attempted that yesterday, mostly because I knew I had to preach on this today. I didn't do very well. Um, I actually called myself lazy three or four times. And my wife was very, very loving and said, you've you got to stop saying you're lazy. You're supposed to stop. You're supposed to do some nothing. So, so take more Sabbath time. Balance your Sabbath time with those different things. Be accountable for your Sabbath time. 
That goes two ways. Some of us, we know people who are like, I'm Sabbathing. Yeah, but you have to go to work at least once. Nope, I'm Sabbathing. So, so have some accountability on that side. I, I think too often, though, it's the other way. So, so for all of us, we have intense seasons of insanity where we don't get to stop. So, so immediately my mind goes to college students at the end of the semester doing all those papers that they've procrastinated up until that moment, studying for finals, cramming all those things, doing the all-nighters, and it's like, do work, 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 work. Okay, we get it. You're going to have to pull an all-nighter once and again. But, but it can't be a consistency in your life. So, so for us here at the church, it's Christmas and it's Easter and VBS week for some of us. You work like a maniac, it's a 90-hour week, okay, that's going to happen, it's an occupational hazard, okay? But you need somebody in your life that's going to be like, okay, good, now, it's time to stop. It's time to stop. You, you cannot maintain that level of intensity. And finally, one of the things that we do for Sabbath is we do it in community. We do it in community. That's, that's particularly helpful for people who have responsibilities that they just can't turn off. Our farming community. Our moms and dads. But if you do it within community, there's opportunity for you to lean on somebody else to help you achieve that Sabbath rest and for you to come in and fill in the gaps for them as they try to achieve that. Now, I know, I, I understand, there's some people sitting in this room who are like, I don't need no stinking rest. I do this stuff all the time. It's just my personality. I can't stop. I can't sit still. I, I say, hey, you know what? God, God knows that. God's aware of our tendencies to race. Our tendencies to, to race. And we don't just stand in place. We are racing towards self-reliance and arrogance. And he knows that. In fact, if you, Exodus chapter 31, if you look there, Exodus chapter 31 comes at the end of the giving of the law. And God has laid it all out for Moses. And if you read chapters 19 through 31, you find there is just a lengthy list of requirements and law and instructions um, about uh, everything. I mean, literally everything that they need to know about the tabernacle, about the, the Ark of the Covenant, the table, the lampstand. The ta- I mean, if you just zip through at your headings 19 to 31, you see God is laying out thing after thing after thing. Make sure you do this, make sure you do this, make sure you do this. And when you get to chapter 31, verse 12... <laughs> I think uh, the best translation, uh, the English Standard Version, the New American Standard Version, a couple of other translations translate it this way. The Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites, above all else. Now, when God says, this is the most important thing. When I say it, you could just like, well, whatever, that's just Frank. There'll be another most important thing or another favorite passage like within 10 minutes. That's just how he works, okay? But when God says, above all everything else, you should pay attention. Because what he says now is this, verse 12, the Lord said to Moses, above every, tell the Israelites, above everything else, you must observe my Sabbaths. For it's a sign between me and you throughout your generation so that you will know that I am the Lord who consecrates you. When, when, when God says, take a day off, that's the most important thing that I've given you so far, you should probably consider what he's saying. And he says, take a day off. Why? Because that's how you will know. That's how you will remember that it's God who sets you apart from everybody else, not you. Not you. 
You're, you're not the one who makes you different than everybody else. It's God's work in your life. You could be running a million miles an hour and God says, yeah, they think they're doing this all on their own. It's time for them to stop. It's time for them to let me be God. Above all else, you must observe my Sabbath. How serious is he taking this? Well, let's keep reading. You must observe my Sabbath. It's a sign between me and you throughout your generations so that you will know that I am the Lord who consecrates you. Exodus 31, 14. Observe the Sabbath, for it is holy to you. Whoever profanes it must be put to death. Took a rather harsh turn, didn't it? Has your boss ever said, if you don't take tomorrow off, I am going to come kill you? No. God takes it seriously. Because of your self-reliant tendencies, because of your forgetfulness about what really matters, you must stop and remember that I'm the one that delivered you, I'm the one that fights for you, and I'm the one that provides for you. So stop. Uniontown Bible Church. Stop. And, and I know, I've seen it on faces throughout. There's the what ifs and what abouts and but, all those things coming at you, and, and I get it. Because you all live very busy lives, very important lives. There's a lot of important things you need to do, whether it be corporate or not. It doesn't matter. I understand all of that, but this is what I need to tell you. The, 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 one of the biggest excuses, or I'll say excuses, that comes out harsh, but you'll understand in a second, is if, if I don't do that, if I'm not available 24-7, then I'm going to lose my job. Then I'm not going to be able to provide for my family. And this is what I would say in response to you. If God called you to it, the consequences are his. If God called Abram and Sarah out of their comfy homeland, and they had no idea where they were going, if they were to use the same, but, but God, we have, a, we have the family that we have to stay here with, and we have, we're, we're comfortable here, and we've made provision here, and we can hang here, and God says, no, I want you to go. If they had stayed there, well, that's the same thing that we're trying to do by saying, well, I can't, I can't, I have to be on call all the time. Do you take it as a matter of obedience to God? Now, I'm not saying you must take Saturday off. You do know that's the original Sabbath, right? Okay, so I'm trying. I'm not saying you must take Saturday off. You can't leave within 20 feet of your house. You have to do all your cleaning on Friday, all the meal prep on Friday, because you're not allowed to do that on Saturday. I'm not saying make it this legalistic thing. I'm saying God has commanded it as a gift of grace to you. And if he's commanded it, then he's going to carry the consequences. Difficulties, our value, our identity has been in doing for so long. Imagine, imagine the Israelites who've been in Egypt for hundreds of years, slaving away every day, suddenly being told by God, you have a whole day to rest. Why? Okay, besides the fact that it's good and it's healthy for us, why would God tell them to rest. Why would God tell us to rest? Because when we rest, we're showing everybody around us that we are not God, but He is. We're showing all nations and all people a picture of God's great glory. When, when God's people can just be instead of do for a day, it shows that their God is a great provider and a great protector who has their backs. His people can stop 
striving, both physically and spiritually. Because in his love and in his mercy, he finished the work that was necessary for us. Think about it this way. The only person that you would ever have to prove yourself to looks at you and says, it's so very good. It's finished. Let's rest in that. Let's rest well. Father, thank you for our time together in your word. Thank you for the truth that you are God and we're not. Lord, I ask that you would give us obedient spirits, humble hearts, to recognize where we're trying to take control, where we're operating out of insecurity or fear instead of worship. So Lord, I ask that you would give us spirits and hearts that are resting comfortably in what Jesus has already done for us. Thank you for his finished work on the cross. Thank you for his righteousness on my account. Lord, I I pray that our very tired people would find rest for their souls as they cling to Jesus himself. Then may we put it into practice by looking at our schedule this week and finding rest where there was no rest before. Thank you for the only reason we have to rest because of Jesus. Amen.